0: Hi, this is uh, Mike Edelhart. I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, beginnings of new companies, new ideas in science, new products, uh, and hopefully sometimes a little glimpse of the future. And today I'm here with Charlie Silver from uh, Ruby Bio. Great to see you. Really nice to
1: see you, Mike, and thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: Oh, my pleasure. We're so excited to get a chance to work with you guys. So maybe the best place for us to start today is, is a little bit on you. Uh, you have had a, a very successful career with startups and science and all that before this. Uh, so uh, I'd love to you know, have you explain a bit for folks what you've done before. And then you had all kinds of choice. So why? Did you pick what Ruby's doing and explain for folks exactly what that uh, what that is?
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I have a technical background originally. I've got a physics background and I've also picked up an MBA over the years. Um, and I've spent uh, about 25 years or so. Uh, I the the, uh, the bulk of my career building products and um the, the markets that these products sell into uh, and, and the companies uh, that that, uh, that end up launching these products. Um, and I've, I've, uh, I've been through a number of these, as you've said. Um, I started in telecom uh, very early on back in the early 2000s when that was uh, in a boom cycle. And I was fortunate to be one of the two companies that survived that cycle and uh, continued growing to full scale. I've been in semiconductor tools. I've been uh, in, in uh, alternative energy uh, earlier in my career. And uh, uh, most recently, I've spent about the last decade of my life in biotechnology, um, building a company that I grew from scratch through to scale called Mission Bio um, in uh, in the bio tool space. This is a space that... Uh, builds out the tool set which enables drug companies to develop better drugs. So I've played in a lot of different industries over my career. I would say the one thing that hooks all of them together is um, these tend to be very complex products which integrate the the latest and greatest science and engineering um, and uh, roll it all up into a product that simplifies a problem for a market in a way that kind of collects the very best technology um, to serve the market need at hand. So I've, uh, I have I do have a lot of product development experience and also a fair amount of company building experience behind that as well.
0: So all that background, and you kind of went on a hunt for what to do with the next part of your career, and where'd you wind up?
1: Well, I've done a lot of thinking. Um, as as I was uh, coming out of my, my last company at Mission Bio, um, I hired a new CEO for the company to continue their path to to scale um, after I had brought them to full global adoption and, and uh, really, really nice impact across uh, cancer genetics. After that, I did a lot of thinking about where the world is headed and uh, um, you know where, where I can make a difference uh, while, while I'm here uh, and, and uh, in, in terms of what the world needs next. And I, I think I, I realized very quickly that climate change uh, is the biggest trend of our generation Um, It's a trend that will roll through really every subsequent generation and there are a lot of opportunities for a business to make a difference in that space. It's the largest market shift of our generation I would say for many directions. And when you see one of these, you know, huge shifts in the market where cash and capital and technology is flowing from one side to the other, that's an opportunity to really make a difference uh, and, and to do so very very quickly in a place that will uh, that, that will hopefully have a large impact right. on people and planet. So uh, directionally, uh, you know, that that's everything right. that we do as a company, and it, it's really where my head has gone recently. I partnered up with a co-founder who has a lot of experience in our technology. His name is Pavan Kambam. He's a, a PhD in chemical engineering and he's really the technical counterpart to me at this company he has been scaling up biosynthesis for one company after another he's done uh, six of these in his career and this is now his seventh and he has great expertise in taking new biosynthesis technologies from scratch through to full scale and the two of us came together and really appreciated that at a high level, climate change is a story that touches not just an industry or even a country, but really touches the entire world. It's a macroeconomic question, um, and it's a it's a global political question. And mitigating strategies, um, as as I you know thought thought a lot about these markets, mitigating strategies at a global systemic level need to play out through policy. Um, it's not something that one company can solve and uh, it's not something that one government can solve either. I'm excited that, uh, you know, this, this country is finally stepping up and starting to invest heavily uh, into climate change with, uh, you know, some of the latest infrastructure investments out of the administration. And I think that needs to be done, but I think systemic solutions need to bring together, you know, glo- global thinkers and collaborate across uh, on, on a global worldview. And I just haven't seen that that momentum is there to actually solve the problem. And I'm really here and, and Pavan and I are here to do the very best that we can with what we know how to do, which is build a business that makes a difference. And
0: yeah, so go in now. So what exactly is it that Ruby RubyBio is doing and why of all the things that might have big impact, you chose this particular one? Because it's very specific in particular what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So v- very specifically, we decided to focus on the chemical space because this is a, a, a large, large market. There's a trillion dollars of petrochemicals, which will, uh, which, which we rely upon as, as a, as a civilization because this enables our modern quality of life as we know it. And you know, it's, it's everything from uh, the cleaners and 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 uh, detergents that we wash our clothes with, it's the stuff we wash our, our hair with, it's the products we put on our skin, it's the paint on the wall, you know, fabric softener, colors, it's everything around us that we take for granted, because this industry just works really, really well, um, and it's had, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years of uh, embedded petrochemicals to make it do so. However, these petrochemicals are all going away. if We don't find a way to replace them. And I think of it from really an economic perspective. There's obviously a sustainability component to this, but uh, I I really like to think about these markets in terms of the, the microeconomics. And in this case, it is that we've built this entire infrastructure on petroleum, which has become very cheap to pull out of the ground. Uh, and as we convert it into fuels, the byproducts turn into the chemicals that we use over the coming decades. As we shift away from them, there's no more feedstock to feed these chemicals, and we need to find replacements. So there's some inevitability to this market. Um, if we don't replace them, then uh, we we just don't have the quality of life mm-hmm. that we've come to come to rely on. So we looked broadly across this trillion-dollar petrochemical market to figure out where there are opportunities to stand up a business in the near term that will grow to scale in a way that can then capture as much of that trillion dollars worth of petrochemicals as possible over time. And our mindset as we built this and and, uh, as we looked for the right markets to enter is that sustainability is important, but it's not a business model. Um, A business model, certainly for a startup company, is is about gross margin, which is value, high price points at a low cost. That's how you grow a business to scale, and that's not exactly a sustainability story. So the way we think about it is with a sustainable platform underneath, where are there opportunities to deliver value in the market right now, independent of sustainability? Um, where we can just create the very best performing products at the uh, competitive price points on top of this platform, which happens to be sustainable. And uh, by doing so, I I think we drag markets into sustainability um, as opposed to uh, that that sustainability as the, the business model. So through all of that, we looked across markets to figure out where where there's room to make a difference right now. We landed in a market called surfactants. Um, This is a specialty chemicals market. uh, So that sits underneath the trillion dollars of specialty chemicals. It's about a $50 billion market. Surfactants are a chemical that people don't really know of, um, but it's something that really enables everything we do everywhere. The word surfactant is a portmanteau of surface active agent, that's surfactant. Um, and these are fundamentally chemicals that bind together other chemicals. So in any liquid or gel or cream or even solid formulation of anything that mixes together ingredients, yeah. it stabilizes that. Right.
0: It's why they um, don't separate sitting on the shelf. It's why they that, don't break true. down hanging around. That's exactly it. It
1: gives you the stability. um, It gives you the cleaning action in detergents. It is the the ingredient that provides the the cleaning power. But ultimately, because of that stabilizing power, it's something that's in just any formulation of anything that we use. Um, We consume in the United States, every one of us consumes 20 pounds of surfactant a year. Um, So whether you know it or not, you're using it all the time. And we were looking for markets where, you know, again, there's opportunities to make money initially as we grow to scale, um, but that we can really kind of step back and and reflect as we built this over the coming years and decades that we've really made a difference in Mm -hmm. moving large markets over to sustainability.
0: And just to give folks a little background, those surfactants that you're talking about traditionally, the uh, giant petroleum belching The refinery is the initial source of those with all the pollution and other things that it brings. And when you're done with them, they don't go away. They last and last and last and last and last and have secondary negative effects on the environment. So negative on the front, negative on the back. And uh, we need them. So what's an alternative? So what's the alternative that Ruby's come up with to uh, allow us to keep having these chemicals we need and want? Uh, but not have the environmental effects that the traditional ones bring with them.
1: There is certainly an environmental element to it. There's also a uh, health and personal care element to it because many of these chemicals are are irritating and have harmful health effects. Um, And many of them are this this class of chemicals that we think of as forever chemicals, which uh, the environment does not break down. They're easy for the industry to use for that reason because they're very, very stable, but they're harmful to the planet because they're very, very stable. So it turns out that bio-based alternatives of the same chemicals, because they are bio-based, come with a much more environmentally friendly score in the sense that they can be degraded. So these tend to be, they are natural, Um, they're manufactured by by organisms, which we culture um, to produce the product, and as a result of their bio-based origin, they are much more friendly to the planet. And generally, uh, they're, they're more friendly to, to your skin and to the environment. Um, so in addition to performance, they come with great
0: benefits. So we're talking about uh, uh, bio-based uh, substances, you say, produced by organisms. And in, in the case of ruby, the organism is very specialized forms of yeast, right? I mean, sort of like the basis for beer, but being used in a different way uh, to produce a very different outcome.
1: That's true, Mike. Um, And we made a couple of very um, purposeful decisions, I would say, around the platform that we wanted to build into this market. One is the organism, as as you said, it's a yeast-based platform. uh, and, And there were a couple of considerations there. The biggest one is that we wanted to build into existing manufacturing infrastructure. Um, and I think this is a bit of lesson learned from the last uh, couple decades or so of synthetic biology and uh, industrial biotech broadly. And that that is the fact that if you're changing a large industry and uh, working toward large market shifts, um, you cannot reinvent manufacturing. You can't replace right. the infrastructure until you've gotten to scale and then you have the right to replace it. You've got to work right. with what's there if, if you expect to, to not burn a lot of capital to get there. And I think that was uh, also um, a lesson learned from the early days of biofuels. The world knows how to scale up yeast. We have lots of yeast manufacturing worldwide. Um, so we we picked a platform uh, as as a foundation to what we do that the world knows how to manufacture already. This is something that can be done anywhere with, uh, in in our case, with very simple downstream, which is something that is often missed in, in uh, in these technologies. So the yeast itself is important. The yeast that we've started with is also important because we've started with a series of wild type strains. These are naturally occurring yeast, which already have most of the capability to make the products that we make. Um, And that's also a statement about, uh, um, you know, lessons learned from synthetic biology over the last uh, couple of decades or so. It is um, a, a fantastic tool set for engineering genomes of organisms. However, biology is very, very complex. So if you start from scratch with baker's yeast, for instance, which is what's commonly done, you're gonna have a very hard time building complex products out of that in a directed way. So we identified the very best yeast um, that uh, already have most of the capability we need. And, you know, it it just takes a little bit of engineering to get it across the line. So that that was another important point. And the third one is around the feedstock. And this is really the economics question, um, because as, as we've said, petroleum feedstocks are I don't know that they're going away, but they're going to become much more expensive as we shift away from fuels. That's going to drive up price points across all of these chemicals. We've started replacing them broadly with natural oils. So these are you know, palm oil derivatives or you know, plant or animal biomass derivatives. Um, and I think those feedstocks also are going to be uh, uh, volatile in, in a similar way that crude oil has been. Uh, and we've already seen that play out with palm oil. The most stable feedstock... Uh, is sugar. That's uh, that's one that's been used routinely, and that is the one that's been scaled up to, to, uh, to very large scales. So again, we wanted to build on top of what the world already provides at scale. Sugar feedstock uh, with no oils required, simple yeast, uh, which again, the world knows how to manufacture, with the simplest possible downstream, which is where uh, you often get bogged down in the unit economics.
0: Yep. So you can't do it automatically, you have to be very considered about how you do this kind of thing. But if I'm not putting words in your mouth, you guys are very much focused on the simplest, most uh, fit into the world as it is today approach for starters that you could generate so that you could get going fast, do this at low cost and not get into some of the issues that say a lab-based meat has, which is that. The, you have to feed these biological organisms something, and if that's expensive, it's expensive. If the price is super high and the ability to produce products is super low, you may have something interesting, but not right away satisfactory for big markets, and you actually wanted to be able to satisfy that big need efficiently and quickly, and this is the way to do it.
1: So that, that's right. The technology is one piece of it, um, and uh, we we think that is the right approach to building out the technology. Um, but of course, the market is the bigger piece. Um, and then the question is how how we build into this and grow to scale within the the fifty billion dollars of surfactants and the the larger uh, specialty chemicals markets beyond and there we've really taken an approach of driving for value um again with the mindset that you build a, perf- a, a startup company off performance and value in a place right. where you matter and uh you know you're you're just uh selling deal by deal based on the value you provide to customers um which again is a reaction to what we've seen play out in in synthetic biology and industrial biotech right of focusing on commodities, we've seen that that just doesn't work. When you're starting out, you have to be able to have a high enough price point uh, with with margins that can work. And as you grow to scale, you can shrink those margins because the volumes then make sense. And that's another piece that we like about this market with $50 billion of surfactants feeding every end user application you can imagine. There are areas um, where you can stand up a high gross margin business initially um, that serves the customer, which just the very best performance right. that can possibly be served, whether it's petrochemicals or bio-based. Right. Um, and then once you've got reasonable scale, you can continue working down market. Um, and that that that's been a very attractive feature of the surfactant yeah. market.
0: It's uh, you know listening to you talk, it brings me back to why we invested in you guys. We talk about two things here a lot at the fund. One is exactly what you're talking about. You have to fit into the market as it is before you can revolutionize it. And often we have entrepreneurs very excited with great breakthroughs, but the current universe is here and the breakthrough starts there and you can't jump the railroad cars over the gap. Uh, It just isn't possible. So that makes everything much more difficult. And we heard that from you guys in spades. And the other, we talk a lot about great entrepreneurs, eyes on the clouds, boots on the ground. Practical uh, day in, day out is more money coming in than going out. Do we see a way to get more money coming in than going out? Do we see a way to be sustainable and endure as a company? Do we see real customers who will give us real money in the context of, and as this starts moving forward, we could change the world, but you change the world one step at a time. And it's an accumulation of small wins, not one titanic battle that winds up with everything else in tatters and you as the king of everything. It never works that way.
1: That is very much the way I think about building a business from scratch to scale. You change the world in small increments, um, and as you build a business that has, you know, enough gross margin to put cash back into the business, that gives you the right to then change yeah. the world at the next exactly. stage of scale. But you can't do it all at once. You have to you have to take it piece by piece in small, you know, incremental steps that de-risk as you go. And that that's been a a big mindset for us. I, um, I, you know, again, I, I've, I've been around a number of these companies over the years, and I, I, built, uh, I, I built one of them successfully. Um, I've come to believe that a startup company that is successful as a business, in other words, uh, you know, a, a standalone operating business, is um, very much driven by just pure execution, Um, I I think, you know, you've got to start with a solid technical platform that gives you the right to play in your market where no one else can play early on. Um, And it's just a matter of executing into the market. It's just, you know, knowing your milestones, knowing your goals, knowing what you can deliver and shutting off everything that you can't focusing on what you need right now getting it done before you get to the next stage and not doing everything, but doing one thing at a time. Right. And that, that execution is, is uh, really our right. mindset at Ruby bio.
0: Amen to that. So exactly where are you right now? Last question for me, for you. And then I think you might have a few questions you wanted to ask me. So where is the company right now and what's going to happen next?
1: So we are um, we're seed stage now, um, and as a company, um, we are out there with customers working very widely, mostly across the personal care and home care space, um, trying to enable their shift from uh, petrochemicals over to uh, high-performance bio-based alternatives. So we've been sampling very widely and uh, before long, you're going to find our ingredients and all the products on your shelf It's sits, uh, you know, under your kitchen and your shower and your bathroom. Um, that's our starting point as a company. So, uh, you know, your your shampoos and conditioners, your detergents, all, all of, uh, again, this 50 billion dollar market that powers our lives. You will find our sustainable ingredients there uh, before very long.
0: Sounds great. We should make a pledge right now to do this again in a year. So hopefully you have a whole rack products behind you at that point that uh, are uh, are using what you uh, what you make. We have a couple of minutes left before we have to wrap. What did you want to ask me?
1: I've got a couple of questions for you if that's okay. and sure. uh, the, the the one that I've actually been really um, interested in is um, you guys at, uh, at at Joyance under the umbrella of Ataraxia um, have built at least in my view um, you know one of the most impactful and successful early stage investing vehicles. And you've continued to raise funds over time. Um, there, there is, um, a, you know, from what I've seen, there's a lot of capital sloshing around at the early stages from largely, um, you know, fresh and new inexperienced funds that are just coming together. And it's rare to see a fund that raises successive stages of successful capital. And stay at the early stages because typically you need to, you know, build into the later stages. Right. Um, and I find that there's a, a you know, a, a dearth of experience in very, very early stage investing w- with a gap that I think uh, you, you guys have uh, covered quite successfully. I've, I've been curious how you've been able to build the fund um, in a way that that maintains that that uh, really tight focus at the early stages.
0: It's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Uh- And I'll try and give kind of a quick answer, not get too much in the weeds. One is just individuals, me among them, my uh, co-founder back in the day, Bill Losey, who's now retired, uh, knowing ourselves, knowing what we're good at, knowing what we want to do. And we're technologists. We love talking to people like you. We love exploring science. We love change. We're not financial people. We are about change and have been our whole career. So I was in a nearly billion dollar fund uh, for a period of my career. I didn't like it at all. Uh, I know a lot of folks on Wall Street. I've written books when I was a journalist with folks who were titans of Wall Street and uh, I can see those careers and that's not the career I want and uh, not how I want to spend my time. So that's one aspect of it. Let's do what we're good at and do what makes us happy and do where we think we can make a difference. The the second is uh, one of those books I wrote way back when was with, Sir John Templeton, uh, his autobiography. So I sort of got Graham investing from one of the greats of Graham investing. And what Graham says, if everybody is doing one thing, if everybody's going to the right, there's no opportunity to the right. So the standard venture capital fund gets in at the A round because it's halfway through the process. The, The company is already to some degree proven in the market. You can hopefully exit in four or five years. There's a whole set of reasons why almost all the venture capital funds do the same thing in the same way at the same time. It produces overpriced companies at the A&B and all the things that there have been a lot of talk about. But a new fund run by a couple of old geeks is not going to have much opportunity or impact in that scrum. So we have to do something different, and we came to the conclusion that we could overcome some of the mythological negatives of being early. Why doesn't uh, another fund do this? They say you can't find the companies. If you can find the companies, there's nothing there to analyze. If you can analyze it, you can't put in a check, all these mythologies. And we looked at it really closely and decided, you know, it's not actually true. We may be able to demonstrate that it's not true and started working on that basis. And we're able to demonstrate that we could make uh, reasoned choices very early. And then uh, finally, we're just, uh, you know, somewhere between stubborn, energetic, and lucky in that we found a few. Our funds started like everybody's funds people we knew who'd done well in tech or media or or something uh, and were willing to, uh, you know, repurpose some of that wealth to us because they knew us and trusted us and felt we wouldn't do stupid things with their money. But in that process, came across a really, really, really big company, the parent company of Japan Tobacco, whose views about the future and health and the need for change and what they needed to do to change conformed very fully with the research we had. And we had this Hollywood meet-cute of literally two decks, their deck and our deck, where we could put them together. And Joyance grew out of that. And so having this substantial patron who believe what we believed and trusted enough us enough to say here take some substantial capital and do with it what we just agreed ought to happen and has always been utterly true to that it was transformative for the fund and and for me and we've been able i think to back some amazing companies like you guys and and hopefully become participants in bringing positive uh, change into the world and and our point of view is if we do that we'll wind up making money but we're not in it to make money we're in it to help folks who want to produce new experiences for people new opportunities in the world uh, to help them uh, achieve that and then sort of let the financial side uh, uh take care of itself
1: that's a good story i i've long thought that uh building a venture fund um has a lot of parallels to building a startup company um, and uh, I, I think uh, your, your comments of looking for impactful areas of unmet need around industry changes, I, I think that's yeah. uh, very, uh, very analogous to building a startup.
0: Yeah, you but know, the startups and, and venture capital funds uh, are bound up in one another. You can't do venture capital if there aren't entrepreneurs who want to do great things. And entrepreneurs have a much harder time doing great things if there aren't risk-oriented pools of capital willing to back them when, you know, uh, there's always going to be a less risky thing to do with the money. Uh, and, and so it's synergistic. That being said, we think there's all kinds of opportunity to be more creative and flexible. And uh, and you've heard that, you know, we, we don't take forms of control. We're trying to interact with the companies in a different way and with our LPs in a different way, and we'd love to be able to back more kinds of companies, more kinds of entrepreneurs, uh, uh, and to be more creative and mutually supportive with our LPs, this whole notion of you're the money, you go away, we're the investors, we'll talk to you in 10 years, we think is is uh, quite passe. Thank you. Great stuff, we could talk about this more and more, but we sort of gone longer than normal, so we should probably wrap for now, and let's do it again next year. Uh,
1: I'd love to, thank you.
0: Thank you, uh, great to talk. Uh, um, and uh, I look forward to seeing what, uh, what happens uh, uh, next.
1: Thank you, great conversation, and I, uh, I'm sorry, I've run us a little longer than usual. Oh, I, I appreciate that it's comment. it's
0: fun, thanks.